So welcome everyone. My name is Michael and welcome to Box Mining Plus. Today we have the honor of hosting Kenny. Kenny Lee. Hi. You're actually the co-founder of Manta. Yes. And, Hi. Uh, we have him in person. The king of the king of the ocean. <laughs> is that more a good like title a, for you? I don't know. More like a. a oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. More like a, I don't know, a subordinate of the ocean. Subordinate, the <laughs> server, guppy. the a guppy, guppy of, of the ocean. ocean. <laughs> so in this episode, we want to take a look at Manta in depth. So uh, we have Kenny here in person. Um, this is actually quite interesting because I was introduced to you by actually your Twitter. Uh, someone said, hey, why don't you talk to him? And I said, sure. And then uh, I realized he's in Hong Kong. So he's here now in our studio. And we get to have the chance to just grow him on, about some, you know, questions, prospects, everything about Manta. Sure, yeah. And I guess uh, one thing that I want to do with this video is kind of go from the start again. We covered a lot about the kind of the airdrop, but I feel like now we need to establish a foundation. Like, what is Manta? What makes it special? Okay. There's two networks, Manta... Atlantic and Pacific, you know, yes. what, what are these two oceans? And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of staking and what's uh, what to do and the prospects, like where this is going and what makes us sexy, what makes us cool. Um, so that's a lot to do in this episode, but sure, uh, we'll try to do everything all at once. And because it's a live stream, we'll take some questions from the audience as well. So people are just tuning in now. So I've, um, I want to thank everyone for it. And we're also also going to make this available as a podcast because I do expect this to go, you know, a little bit longer. So if you guys prefer that sort of format and just listen to us um, on podcast, check it out. I'll share that with you guys soon. So I guess, Kenny, in your own words, what is kind of Manta? Like what, 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 what makes it special? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I guess with Manta Network, right, we've actually been building out the project for the past three years. Mm -hmm. And we've always been focused on two things. One is uh, user adoption and two is zero knowledge. And so when we first started the project, we built our uh, L1, mm -hmm. the, the substrate-based L1, specifically thinking about, you know, how do we improve the user experience when it comes to any type of on-chain activity? Because one of the big uh, issues that we saw and still see in the space is this lack of privacy, mm. right? Um, everything connect, everything's connected to your wallet address. Your wallet address is essentially a proxy to your own identity. Mm -hmm. um, and users don't necessarily want everyone to see what's going on all the time. And so that's where we kind of had our origins. And we specifically used zero knowledge to help create a solution for that. And mm. so as a result, we created the fastest ZK-based L1. Um, still the mm -hmm. fastest today. And, you know, it's it focuses around on-chain identity, on-chain privacy enhanced identity. Okay. That's where it came. But then uh, after we had built this out and we realized we have an L1. It doesn't use MetaMask. It uses our own tooling. And you can't really obtain, acquire users to create this mass adoption of this amazing tool that we created. Right, mm. because like you're asking people to do all these extra steps to install, you know, a new sort of you know application and get onto a new network, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really heavy ask. So what we did was we said, okay, where are the users and how do we get to them? They're mm -hmm. all on Ethereum, right? <laughs> right and right. so we decided, okay, then the next step is to bring all of this technology in as an L2 on Manta Pacific, and that's where Manta Pacific was introduced. And as a result, right, we were able to actually take a lot of the ZK technology we built for the L1, introduce it to the L2, 
And so now we have one of the largest growing layer twos in the space mm -hmm. um, that can leverage a lot of the ZK technology we've already built out on the L1. Got so, it. Got you know. it. so, so kind of your, your, your base identity is kind of about privacy because you use ZK um, technology quite a bit. I, I guess we'll explore that uh, for a second. I just showed people the website on yeah. here and you really have two networks. So you're like, you're like a two-handed two, two punch, I guess. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making the worst analogy, so again, but yet again, one is um, a kind of uh, polka dot chain uh, built with Substrate, which yeah. is using uh, privacy um, technologies from ZK, ZK side. And then you have your Ethereum layer two, um, even though that's kind of like very different, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's, it's, it, it's extremely different because the L1 itself, it doesn't have a VM environment, right? Mm -hmm. So people can't build and deploy dApps on it. But the whole goal, the whole purpose of us kind of building out this uh, this chain is to make sure that as many people around the world use it. Mm -hmm. And so without that sort of DAP environment, then we realize there's a lot of limitation in terms of usability. And so we also, mm -hmm. it's, that's also a reason why we expanded into the L2 to create this Turing complete environment so that DAPs can actually leverage this, deploy, and provide those benefits directly to their users. Got it. So Manta Atlantic is uh, kind of just transfer of value. Yeah. And then Manta Pacific is where all the exciting stuff, all the decentralized applications, sure, yeah, DeFi, yeah. and everything yeah. is happening right now. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, and personally for us, just uh, on our channel, we did a lot of bridging to Manta Pacific, which is, yeah. yet again, that's the layer two. And it uses Ethereum as uh, its main fuel. So yeah. it uses Ethereum, you can launch dApps, and you can do a lot of the similar stuff I can do on Ethereum on exactly. Manta Pacific. Yeah, and actually, um, so everything that you can do, any app that you can deploy on Ethereum, you can deploy on us. Mm -hmm. And so that just makes the developer experience extremely simple as well. Mm -hmm. And so we see a lot of these apps coming into our ecosystem that focus on, you know, whether it's DeFi or SocialFi or GameFi, et cetera, um, being able to deploy on us in a matter of, you know, just hours to a couple of days. Yeah. Got it. So so now it's like kind of the development phase, right? Where you're trying to get as many, woo as many developers as possible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, talking about the developer side, right? Like, I think that's that's another area where Manta Pacific is really different. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of L2s right now focus on this um, this neutrality in terms of support, in terms of marketing, and it's almost like um, a gladiator arena of apps <laughs> where you know everyone comes in and you kind of battle each other and you kind of fight for this glory, and whoever is the last man standing or the last woman standing and the last mm -hmm. person standing is um, is the the team that obtains you know the TVL the on chain users et cetera et cetera, mm -hmm. um, but there's very little intervention from the L two right so the L two just kind of sits back and watch this all happen, but with Manta we're very different in this sense because we are very much focused on service I think that we like to think of ourselves as an extension of the teams um, that are building on us mm, okay so we have a lot of ecosystem teams that come to us and say hey. We need help uh, a little bit on the tech side, a little bit on the operation side, a little bit on the marketing side. And we're able to kind of give that support as a core team. And so that's been really successful for us in terms of growing a lot of these ecosystem projects as well. Uh, two examples here. One is uh, LayerBank. LayerBank, obviously the, the lending protocol, uh, the largest one on Manta right now. They've also deployed on, um, They've also been deployed on Linea as well as Scroll. Cool. Yep. And on Linea and Scroll, right, they have uh, 3 million in TVL, around 3 million in TVL mm -hmm. on each of those. 
and on us right now they've got almost 500 million right? that's a lot and of so, money <laughs> right? so that's a magnitude larger than the tvl that they see on other chains and this is because you know we do offer that support to help because we do want to mm. encourage projects to grow um zero lend is another case right zero lend is also a lending protocol and they were first deployed on zk sync and they've been on zk sync for a while now they're actually the largest lending protocol on zk sync and currently right they have about 31.6 million in tvl and they deployed on manta approximately one and a half weeks ago yeah. two weeks ago now and now we have larger tvl for zero lend than on zk sync again you know because we are very focused on helping ecosystem products grow so um, I think that's a huge differentiator. And I think this is the right time to do that because we are very focused to your point about, um, you know, making sure that we can attract the right developers, get the right ecosystem in place. Got it. And I think like, that's quite interesting because like the way you said, it's like all the layer twos are like duking it out in like this gladiator combat right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is true because, I mean, if you look at it from the, the grand perspective, um, Ethereum's definitely overly congested right now, too expensive to spend. Um, and then everyone else is trying to find a, a new place to grow. Yeah. Uh, but once you, uh, once everyone kind of adopts a layer two, people are just going to stick to it, right? So now it's like you want to find sticky users. Right, right. And, and it's funny you mentioned sticky users, right? Because like, right, especially right now, right? Like we're in this, this season of airdrops, mm -hmm. essentially, right? And so there's you don't really see too much stickiness, in fact. Oh, right? okay, like, okay, okay. You see a lot Interesting. of... It, it is true, it is true from a project... Because yeah. I view it from like a, a YouTube perspective, and we want to make as much videos as possible, talk about everything, but yes, right. you're right. Because we're making so many videos, people are leaving, right? Right, They're, it's very fluid, mm -hmm. right? It's so very fluid. like, you know, you jump... Like, you see users jumping from L2 to L2 to L2, and this is... This is nothing against the users. It's also nothing against the pro against the projects. It's just that you know, it makes sense because one, there's not enough users in Web three. Mm -hmm. Going back to user experience, and we mm -hmm. can definitely talk about that. But like two, also all the apps are the same, and so like you know, you're just jumping from one DeFi protocol to another DeFi protocol, and you're just earning yield and earning rewards and continuing to do so, right? And so like we're basically you know just passing users from one chain to another mm. in this sort of round robin way. Um, yeah, and so like, I, I do think like stickiness is something that is something that all the L2s are trying to figure yeah. out. Yeah. And I do think like, and that's you're you're doing you're focusing on developers, right? You're giving developers support. That's your your way of increasing stickiness right. because the developers want to to you know really make this their home. Exactly. Yeah. But also like I think like culture is also extremely important, right? Like I mean you see across these other L2s, you know what do you I, what do I observe? I see people that are using NFTs that are specific to those ecosystems, mm. right? We see people talking about meme culture specifically mm. those ecosystems, right? And I think those are very powerful in terms of also contributing to community, which ultimately results in those sticky users. Got it. And that's kind of interesting because, um, yet again, just there's tech and there's community, right? And I, I just want to focus on tech here a bit because, yeah. you know, you, you have two aspects. You, you actually, I, from what I see, you have three aspects, actually. So uh, one is you have your own chain, Atlantic, which kind of helps with the privacy side. Sure. You have modular aspect. And I think yeah. modular is what the one that's you've been pushing really hard, especially when it comes to that layer two with, with Manta Pacific, right? Yeah. Um, can you just talk a little bit? So like, like, assuming, assume I don't know anything about modular blockchain. Let's say this first time I've heard about what is a modular blockchain. Can sure. you tell me what is a modular blockchain? Yeah, so modular is just a very fancy way of saying like Lego pieces, basically. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's like if you guys have ever built your own computer, right? Like 
it's the difference between building your own computer from scratch, meaning that you you wire all the circuits and you build the circuit boards and you build the CPU yourself, et cetera, et cetera, versus just saying, okay, Intel or AMD have CPUs that you can purchase. Right. Graphics cards, memory, disk, right? Like it's all it's all there and you just plug in components and you continue to be able to plug in, plug out, upgrade, and keep your PC as efficient, as you know, valuable as possible over time. Um, I think in in crypto in blockchain we don't really we haven't really done that on the infrastructure level right so it's a it's a you know, bitcoin became on came on scratch right they wrote everything right. on scratch right exactly but think about all the forks of bitcoin right mm-hmm. like when when litecoin came out when digibyte came out and subsequently bitcoin cash and all that right like they, they were all trying to solve a problem that Bitcoin had, which was scalability, usability, transaction mm-hmm, speed, mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they made minor adjustments to those forks in order to accomplish their vision mm-hmm. of what Bitcoin should look like. But they did this in a monolithic way. And what I mean by that is essentially they did everything in-house and they continue to try to innovate everything in-house. Um, but over time, right, especially in this space, everything's so new, everything mm. like continues to change value proposition continues to change. User, what users need in 2011 versus what users need in 2024 are completely different, right? So like, how do you keep up with that? I think a lot of projects in the past have, you know, been um, failed to essentially keep up with the pace of value. And so you see all these forks of Bitcoin emerging, but at the end of the day, you know, Bitcoin is really the only one that's still around, right? And I guess you, you hear this phrase a lot, like this is the Ethereum killer. Right, because it's got one upgrade over yeah, Ethereum. Yeah. Then it's like the Solana killer. <laughs> so, but like you're like now, now it's like okay, it's an everything killer because you're continuously upgrading your components, right? Right. Like I mean, that's that's exactly the point, right? Like in in 2017, 2016, right? The Ethereum killers came out, yeah. and you know you got the EOSs of the world, you've got the Neos of the world, yeah. and all this other stuff. And again, monolithic approaches. And so now we're in 2024, and you know you've got the L2s, who all are providing the same value proposition, but doing it in slightly different ways that are kind of, you know, reminiscent of how people did Ethereum killers and Bitcoin killers and stuff. Right, right, right. And so the question now is like, how does, how do you build an L2 that doesn't suffer the same inevitable fate as all of the other sort of attempts in the past in some alternative universe Mm -hmm. type scenario, right? And I think that you know, taking that modular approach and being able to adapt to user needs is mm. the most important thing. Um, that's exactly why, like in every other industry, all you see is a modular approach, right? Like in the cloud industry, when you build a server, a cloud server on Amazon AWS, Amazon doesn't say, well, good luck, build your own operating system, right? Like they're <laughs> like, here, take Ubuntu or take a Linux operating mm-hmm. system or something. And then on top of that, it's not like, good luck, build your own database, right? Like use MySQL use this, use that, right? And so you have these you have these modules that you plug in to build and deploy your server. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a way of thinking, right? And I guess I guess it's a uh, industry upgrade. Right now you have components that can just regularly um, you know, just like get, right? Right? Like say for example, Celestia you can incorporate that to dump your data into. Yeah. Um, you know, that's available and that's hot, but like um, there might be another module somewhere else that you can just like slot in. So yeah. I think I think that's smarter because it means that you can always be at the forefront of technology, and rather than reinventing the wheel each and every time you deploy something, you get you get the industry you know standard right. components right. Right, and also if you think about like the 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 cost of innovation, 
right? If everyone's creating the same exact thing, everyone's spending the same amount of money mm. and the same amount of time and the same amount of talent in order to just build the same thing. So why are we all trying to do that rather than just using technologies already available? And that's exactly why I think OP stack is so val valuable. That's why Polygon CDK, Arbitrum Orbit, those stacks are so so valuable because it allows people to say, I don't have to build up my rollup from mm. scratch anymore, mm. right? Because that, that's what I saw when I first saw Mantha. I was like, oh, hey, these guys are pretty smart. Like, they have a bunch of logos. I'm like, oh, they're just probably just assembling. Yes. We're just taking Lego pieces <laughs> and putting them together. We're going to continue to do Lego pieces. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And I think, like, right now, I think the biggest advantage right now is actually just cheaper transaction costs versus mm -hmm. other layer twos, right? Because you're using Celestia as a data availability. And I guess in your world, world words, I know I know we made a similar video in the past just explaining this, but I guess we'll kind of re explain this a little bit because I feel like that's quite important. Important because when I saw Celestia and I say, "Oh, data availability," I didn't really understand what it meant. But you know, on your from your perspective, what did that mean to you guys? Yeah, and actually, when we talked about data availability back then, right, like it was still a little bit theoretical because it was just starting to emerge. But now, a month later, we actually have the data to prove the value. Okay. Um, so, so what is data availability? Like, what what is DA? And yeah. Okay. So, um, data availability is just the practice of essentially being able to get data on chain when you need it, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, right, like all the historical transactions and the information that smart contracts need in order to, you know, make the next sort of transaction happen and all that stuff, they have to get data that's currently available that has happened on Ethereum. Okay. Um, so Ethereum is built as a global computer. Yep. It's not built as a global storage system. So as a result, right, like it's it's more akin to an or wants to be more like an Amazon AWS and less like a Google Cloud or a Google Drive um, or Dropbox. And so Ethereum allows you to store data on the blockchain. But if you remember, like everyone that has a copy of the entire ledger has to update it and have to keep up with, you know, all the different sort of things that come in, you have to store it on there. And now you have to store multiple copies of that same thing across multiple different computers. Mm -hmm. And so that's extremely expensive because you're taking up storage space from actual physical computers. And so Ethereum's like, okay, I'll let you store data on us, which is what apps need anyway, but it's going to be pretty expensive, mm -hmm. right? And so as a result, around 80% of your gas fee transaction cost comes from call data, comes mm -hmm. from data availability. Um, and so, you know, what um, Celestia said is essentially, okay, well, why don't you store it on us? We'll be able to keep up with all this data and allow it to be available to applications data availability at a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. And so by putting it onto Celestia, we've essentially saved 80% in the cost for the users rather than having to fully commit it all into Ethereum. Mm -hmm. As a result, over the past 30 days of deployment on Celestia, We've seen $1.5 million in gas fee savings across users. That's pretty good. That's insane, right? Yeah. That's almost like $20 million in a year. Yeah. Right? So it's the, the value is definitely there. Yeah. And I guess, like, uh, I'll do a quick analogy here. I'm, I'm the king of shitty analogies, but uh, let, 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 let's, let's humor me for a second. I think this was a good analogy. So, um, so I can, like, so, so I think one of the analogies is like uh, for layer twos, it's like almost like taking the bus. 
All right, so let, let's say everyone, if everyone's driving a car and the roads are very congested, it's not going to be super efficient, right? You're going to waste a lot of gas. Um, transactions are going to be very expensive and it's going to be slow. Sure. All right. And then their analogy of layer two, I think a very good analogy I've heard is, is actually, um, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, is taking a bus, right? So you, you bundle a bunch of people together, you take the bus, right? You have one driver, you have one vehicle and you save up on gas, right? That's yeah. kind of how layer twos are bundling everything together, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, and it's working. But occasionally, of course, um, this bus needs to be checkpointed, right? Like the, the data, like you need to know what passengers on a bus. Let's, let's say, for example, you, you go to a new city um, and it's a city's like, yo, who's on a bus? All right. You, and um, normally you send that data to Ethereum, right? So because it's a layer two built on Ethereum, you need to send that to layer one. And then like every, let's say every 10 minutes or so, you're just sending a, like a quick update. Yeah, who this is who's on the bus. Sure. Right. And, that, and, that, um, and it makes layer two secure because... Because you're doing that checkpointing, you also uh, don't have dodgy shit happening. All right, let's just say, for example, like you know, people would just magically disappear from the bus. Let's say, let's say, for example, this this the people on the that's bus dodgy. is money. That's a little bit dodgy. <laughs> I mean, like the money just disappears, right? I think that's all what a lot of people are worried about, right? Especially like layer two safety is people are worried. Oh, well, what if my funds disappear? Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So so what you're saying is that normally the data, the checkpoint data of who's on the bus gets um, sent to Ethereum. But you're sending that to Celestia, which is cheaper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, right? Yeah, you're like, yeah. Oh, this is like, yeah, we're we'll sending the checkpoint data to. But okay, the obvious answer to question now is that is it safer? It's like, is it is it just a safe, you know, uh, you know, like I guess I guess if I'm a if Ethereum hardcore guy, I'm like, yo, I rather I, I want my data, I want the checkpoints to be on Ethereum. Now you're putting on Celestia, is that even safe? Yeah, I mean, I think that the safety is definitely something that can be debatable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. because right now, right, like if you settle fully to Ethereum, then there's no additional point of vulnerability, mm -hmm. right? Your your trust assumption is all on Ethereum. Um, and, you know, arguably Ethereum is more secure than a lot of other chains. Um, but if you start using Celestia, for example, now you have the secondary point of vulnerability, right? Because then what happens if Celestia goes down? Because mm -hmm. if Celestia does go down for any sort of reason, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden now you can't access that call data and that's an issue with the dApps on your ecosystem. Right. And so what we do is we actually have um, we actually have Ethereum fallback. Oh, and I okay. think this is this is very interesting for um, for for um, anyone who's building with a modular approach, because if you build it from the ground up, right, like you're thinking about how do I make this the most secure? How do I make it extremely scalable? How do I make it mm. simple, right? But when you're building with a modular approach, you don't think about those things because those things are the responsibilities of Celestia. But for the but for the team that's integrating, now the team here, Manta in this case, has to think about contingency planning, has to think about redundancy, resiliency, what happens if, you know, crisis A happens, crisis B happens. And mm. so as a result, right, like we do have that Ethereum fallback. So if any at any point in time, Celestia stops responding for some reason, then we continue to fall back onto Ethereum. So data availability goes fully back on ETH. Mm, um, okay. What that means right now is, you know, the gas fees will increase um, in, in those scenarios. Oh, okay. But with Ethereum, right, Ethereum is toying with EIP 4844 right now, which is for proto-dink sharding, which is essentially just Ethereum's um, solution for data availability cost as well. Mm -hmm. And so once that goes into effect, then this, this transition between Celestia and Ethereum in case of fallback, right, should be fairly, um, shouldn't be felt significantly from the user side. Got it, yeah. got it. And I think that's a very smart way of putting it. And I think uh, uh, what kind of connected was like, 
let's say initially uh, when I thought you guys just built a, built stuff with a bunch of tools, I'm like, what are you guys doing, right? Like sure. all, all you're doing is you're just like connecting a few things that's already on the market, sure. bundle it together. You know, that's not about a lot of value. But what you what your value is is that your value is in the fallbacks, right? In the contingencies, choosing the right components and then designing the right fallbacks. I guess yeah. that's that, that's what, that's what makes it pop. Yeah, and also I think that you know, like especially in especially in the blockchain space and the crypto space, and we kind of had this sort of mindset as well for the first two and a half years. Um, you know, we love to innovate, we love to build technologies, but I think where we fall short is that we don't focus enough on productization. We don't mm -hmm. focus enough on actual usability and value. And so like, as a result, right, we have all this amazing technology that just is really hard to use. And so, you know, like us as well, right? Like, I think we have a long way to go in terms of perfecting usability and mm. we continue need to iterate on that. But like, we're definitely not the only ones, right? Like a lot of L2s, a lot of other L1s, right? Like we see a lot of usability issues that end up creating an amazing technology, but a very bad product, right? And so like being able to take all these pieces and stitch them together is cool and all but like how do you create that in a way that becomes a very cohesive usable product that is really also an art right like when we first deployed our l2 it was fully on op stack okay and which fully settled to ethereum and then the first challenge was and we worked through this with our ras provider caldera right like how do you how do you transition all that data availability over to celestia in a way that doesn't halt the chain that doesn't break the chain, that mm. doesn't hard fork the chain, right? And so like that in itself was quite an exercise because no one has done that before. Mm -hmm. We're the first L2 to actually migrate over to Celestia, the first one to actually use Celestia. Um, and so as a result, like it was a complete shot in the dark, right? right? Like we're, we're hoping for the best, <laughs> but we had no idea what would happen. But like right. what was really amazing about it was that that transition was so smooth. There was no downtime, no halt in oh, nice. production. Yeah, and the only thing that people noticed was like, hey, my gas fees are getting lower, mm. right? And people mm. started talking about that before our announcement even came out that it was successful because we wanted to wait and see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like there is a lot of like different intricacies on the um, on this sort of like plug and play side as well that I hope over time would be smoothed out because I do see a world, I hope for a world where L2s are extremely easy to deploy. Right, and I, I feel like this is uh, where being a pioneer in this space um, is challenging, I guess. It's like- The space is already a pioneer. Yes, like... <laughs> exactly, a pioneer <laughs> of a pioneer, right? Because yet again, modular blockchains weren't really the biggest discussion for a while, right? Yeah, because, yeah. It, because it just, the, 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 the the components just weren't available. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. um, I think back, you know, if you're like 2017, 2018 days, you, you no one's gonna be talking about oh, data, data availability, blockchain, right, blah blah blah, right. right? So I feel like now that um, you're a pioneer in this, in the sense that it's meta pioneered uh, modular approach, but also like the, the the switching process, right? How do you switch modules? And and I guess the challenge for that, I guess the analogy here would be you're switching out components in your computer when its computer's still on. Yes. Right? Yes. I think that's the biggest challenge because yet again, if I want to update my computer and then swap out some memory, swap out the CPU, I'll turn it off. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. I'll like power off, all right? Uh, Disconnect all the power so I don't electrocute myself, and then I'll change the components, plug it back in, pray to God it works, and then you know figure it out. Yeah. But what you have your challenge here is you have to do it while it's live. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like it's 
it's so great. Uh, I guess two points. Um, you also talked about, you know, like the, the 2017, 2018 era and how like, you know, modularity wasn't even relevant then, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's that's exact point here, right? Like we don't know what's gonna be relevant in 2025. We don't know what's gonna be relevant in 2030, right? And so all we can do, I think the best we can do is be able to adapt to those scenarios, mm -hmm. right? And I think a modular approach achieves that versus more like a monolithic side. And then the second point about like this, this hot swapping, swapping while live, I think because we're kind of, I, I haven't really seen other L2s completely like do this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's still very new. No one's really pioneered it yet. And I, I, I mean, like we're, I wouldn't say we're pioneers. I'd mm -hmm. say we're more like pirates in the sense that like, we're, <laughs> right. we're, we're willing to take the risk and do it and mm -hmm. see what happens. Um, but at the same time, right? Like, this approach of hot swapping, swapping out technologies when there's a live production, and you don't want any downtime and all that stuff. That's very common in Web2. Applications like, you know, mobile apps and, you know, um, mm -hmm. desktop apps and stuff, they do that all the time, right? And so I think like the, the goal here is to make it as seamless, as easy as possible in the future as it is in Web2. That's true. I mean, video games update themselves all the time, too. That's right. true. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, not, not, no, I'm just like, making an analogy that I think, like, you know, like, I mean, if you play a video game, you know, if you haven't played it for a week or so, you know, you're expected to update. I mean, sure, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's 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 just how it works, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, you up, update your client to the live service, you connect, and um, yeah, and you get the new heroes, new expansions, new new upgrades, and I guess right. this is the same thing, you know, same same concept, but we very rarely see that in on on Web three, Web three, and yeah. and I guess going back to like say Bitcoin. Uh, when Bitcoin wants to upgrade, there's so much drama, oh, right? Yeah. Remember, remember that there's like, um, you know, the hard fork, uh, the the UASF days, right? User activated soft fork, and then uh, yes, quite a bit of and, yeah. Everyone's got an opinion, which is amazing, uh -huh. um, but also it it kind of, I think sometimes stifles the innovation. God, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, so so one aspect is modularity, and the other aspect is zk, right? So um, I guess you guys said you were the first, um, the fastest ZK. Uh, so so uh, let's go back to the basics. Why is ZK hot? Why is this privacy um, kind of thing hot? And like, yeah. what, what makes that special? Yeah, I think, you know, when people think ZK, they usually think about two things, either roll-ups or um, on-chain privacy. Okay. And so, you know, for the most part, nowadays, when people hear about ZK, it's all about ZK EVM, ZK rollups, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the hot topic because it, it's used for scalability. But ZK actually has a huge place in the space on the application layer as well, right? So ZK for ZK EVM is on the infrastructure side. ZK for applications, right, that's on the application side. How can applications use ZK? Um, historically, we've primarily seen it used in uh, privacy components, right? So like, I think, you know, for those of you that know Zcash, right? They're one of the first L1s that actually use ZK for on-chain private transacting. And then Tornado Cash, which was on Ethereum mm -hmm. as a smart contract, right? And so there's manifestations of ZK on the application layer as well, but it's extremely hard to build, especially on EVM. Um, because it's very compute heavy, okay. which makes the gas cost extremely high. And also the time it takes to actually create the zero knowledge proof is also extremely slow. Uh, let me digest this for the audience yeah. here, because I feel like uh, I think we jumped into ZK without really explaining what ZK sure is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So, so you can see, like, uh, if if you're watching this on 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 YouTube with video, you can see me just like trying to figure out how how do I 
you know, position everything in and make this flow. Uh, because ZK is a very hot word, right? And I think one, one thing you highlighted is where is ZK used? Because it can be used in different contexts. Yeah. And then uh, it has very different meanings, right? Yeah. But uh, let, let's go back to the roots, all right? So ZK is a type of kind of privacy uh, protocol, I guess. Um, sure. Or, or, or it's kind of funky math. Right, it's, it's yes. not a way to describe it. It's like a funny it, math. It's a uh, how how does that is that does that work for you? It's funky math to um to prove something without having to reveal any information about it. And so you know an analogy that I like to use is um, whoops here um, an analogy that I like to use is um a uh, 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 testing of color blindness. Okay. So, you know, like there's there's one way to purely prove whether or not you're colorblind is by, you know, scanning your eyeballs and looking at your cells and see if you have the cells that, you know, can, okay. you know, okay, look yeah. at color. Okay. Um, but then we can also, I can prove to you that I'm not colorblind without having to go through that entire process, right? And so right. how do I do that? We play a game, right? And, oh, sorry, one second. Um, so we're proving that you have... Um... Messages and you're a very important person right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't be a douchebag. Hey, zero knowledge proof, baby. <laughs> I don't need to see the message, but uh, you proved that. Uh, there you go. That's right. the example right there. Okay. Right. So, so let's let's do a, a game where I prove to you that I'm not colorblind. Right. And so I have imagine two balls in my hand. One's red and one's blue. Okay. And I put it behind or no. So I, you're proving to me you're not colorblind. Okay. I put it behind my back. And I shuffle them behind my back. Right. And then I pull them out and I say, point to the red ball. Right. And you point to the red ball. Right. And so you kind of prove to me that you are not colorblind. But on the other hand, it could have just been a lucky guess. Right. So I do it again. Right. And I do it again. And I do it again. And I do right, it again. Right, right. Until I do it like a thousand times. And you've been pointing at the right red ball all 1,000 oh, times. Right. So the likelihood of you actually guessing correctly all 1,000 times is basically zero. Right. And so that is, you've generated a proof here that you're not colorblind. Right. And then that analogy works because it's very labor intensive. Yes. Yes. So in zero, in ZK, right, like what we refer to as this sort of logical, this logic that we've agreed on is called a circuit. And that circuit, right, a ZK circuit is essentially this entire loop of doing this type of stuff until you prove that like you're, you know, so so I guess I guess like there's various proofs and I think we've seen some of that like you can prove that you have a hundred Ethereum without uh, doxing address right exactly. because I don't want to I don't want to say to people hey this is zero x blah 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 this is my address and I can sign I can sign a transaction with that that would be like the hard proof right right but then that will immediately let people track that address forever yes <laughs> because you know they can track where that Ethereum goes and where that Ethereum goes forever. But what you can say is you can use run this circuit to prove, okay, you know, I'm constantly pointing at that 100 E for whatever, right? Sure. And then I can I can prove uh, crypt, uh, cryptographically or mathematically that this is the case, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so it's using math. And I think this is where there's a lot of difficulty in this space to explain things because math can do funny things um, that normally logic would not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, you know, the I think a point that you brought up here about, like, you know, proving that you have 100 ETH or something, mm -hmm. right? Like that that is um we would be playing a very different game 
in order to prove you have 100 ETH, right? If we played the ball game to prove you had 100 ETH, that wouldn't prove anything. No, no. And so that's the exact same with ZK circuits, right? Like you have to build different circuits for different scenarios. Oh, okay. Right? And so that's where it also gets a little complicated because now as a developer, as a Solidity developer building a decentralized application, you don't have the knowledge in cryptography in order to build a circuit. So you have to go learn that and then build a custom circuit for your specific use case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's where it gets a little complicated. And that's where we kind of step in with our circuits that we've already built over the past like several years. And we abstract all the complexity of that and provide it as like, you know, one or two pieces of code that you can then plug in directly to your application. Okay, and what benefits would that bring? So let's say, for example, I'm used to non the non-ZK universe. Uh, what what can I do differently with the ZK universe that like we can use this technology for? Yeah. So anything uh, anything regarding having to withhold or not reveal any type of information or some type of information. And so one example here right now that's actually deployed on Manta Pacific is an on-chain poker game called ZK Hold'em. Okay. And so ZK Hold'em is um, the only on fully on-chain poker game that exists in Web3 because it's very hard to build, right? Like it's not, if, if we were to build a chess game, it's very simple to build because it's referred to as a complete information game. And what a complete information game is, is just that everyone on the table, everyone who's playing has all the information they need in mm -hmm. order to make their decision, right? And so if, you know, I said knight to d7, you would know exactly where the knight is and then the, the state of the game would change. And then that state would be transparently on the blockchain mm. so that anyone can look at the blockchain and see where all the pieces are and whose turn it is, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so, okay. so I guess the analogy here is like, um, it's all public. So I'll, so you can say knight to, to d6 and I can be like, okay, pawn to whatever the hell, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to e1 or whatever. Sure. I'm, yeah. I'm not good at chess, but, um, but it's public to everyone and, uh, <laughs> um, and everyone can see this and no one stands a disadvantage uh, because I'm not, because the game is like, it's in your mind, right? You're, right. you're deciding your strategies in your mind, so you don't need to uh, publish that, right? Right. But the problem with poker is that poker relies on you not knowing what my cards are. Exactly. Right? Um, I can either bluff or I can like play. Sure, yeah. yeah there, there's various strategies, but the problem is the moment you see my cards, it's over. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's that's the point, right? The moment you see the cards. So you can't just build a card game on chain because then anyone can look on the blockchain and see your cards and then the game's over. Right, right? right. And so you have to use ZK. You have to use other components like homomorphic encryption. You have to combine these components together. And so that's extremely complicated and it takes mm -hmm. a lot of work. It takes a lot of expertise. It takes a whole team in order to just build those components. And so instead of doing that, right, ZK Hold'em uses our ZK circuits in order to deploy that aspect, those functionalities into their game and they don't have to worry about all the cryptography side. Mm. And I think that's actually very interesting because like, you're putting this on chain. So basically, I mean, it's black magic if you think about it. It's like to a poker player, this is black magic because like when the cards are, I guess, um, put on the table, all that information is technically on chain already. And you, yeah. you're, you're, you're publicizing that to everyone. Like, yo, this is what um, everyone's cards are. Yeah. And it's on chain, it's public. Um, and if you're like, you know, um, and it defies physics, right? Because if you, if you publish all the cards onto, uh, you know, like a, a transparent blockchain, everyone would know what other, everyone else's cards are. So there's yeah. no point in playing this game because you can't bluff, you can't do anything, right? right. Um, the, the results are, you know, a foregone conclusion. But when you add ZK technology to that, 
even if I tried my hardest to hack uh, and figure out the cryptography behind it, it's impossible to right. figure out what you have. But at the end of the game, I guess you can just review a seed phrase or something. Yeah, to, to, that's what the that's where the homomorphic encryption comes in. Right. Uh, and so yeah, like it, you're absolutely right, right? Like that's the whole point of zk. Right, like you don't have to you don't have to worry about someone having some type of key to reveal your information mm -hmm. because that's not how it works, right? It's just computationally resolved such that this is private but provable. Mm -hmm. That's actually pretty insane. Yeah. So so I guess that's one aspect of it, and that's what's happening on so it's happening uh so you have ZK technology on both your layer two and your uh L1. layer one, yep. layer one, right? So I guess I guess like developers can use um, most in layer one, and what's what's the purpose of so you guys have two networks, one specific. Specific is where all the computational stuff is happening, where all the fun poker games are happening, yeah. Uh, where all the DeFi is happening. Then I guess what does Atlantic do at all? Yeah, that's a good question because um, Atlantic is specifically focused on uh, private on-chain identity. Mm -hmm. And so you can do on-chain transactions on Atlantic, but the core focus here is being able to prove your identity without revealing any information about yourself. And so we actually have worked with um, Binance on this already. So, you know, Binance has, um, sorry, Binance has KYC. Most exchanges have KYC, right? Like, um, but it's all based on the exchange, right? Like it, you have your KYC information on the exchange and the exchange approves that KYC. But how can you prove in the Web3 space that you've been KYC and approved KYC by Binance, right? Mm -hmm. Binance can then mint you um, a soulbound token, mm -hmm. um, which is just a non-transferable NFT. It's linked to your wallet address. It's connected to your wallet. It will sits in your wallet address for eternity, um, or at least, at least as long as the blockchain continues to produce blocks and is not like you know have any integrity issues. But um, so Binance already does this. It's called the Binance Account Bound Token. Okay, right? so it's their SBT. But it suffers from the exact issue that you know we're talking about right now, the privacy. And mm -hmm. so while someone is KYC'd on Binance and they mint a BAB, a Binance account bound token, um, they don't really use it. Because as soon as I connect my wallet to prove that I'm KYC'd on Binance and therefore a real person and hopefully a good actor, et cetera, et cetera, that application now has access to all my information. Mm -hmm. Right. So now essentially they're saying, okay, like all this information, right? This is what a Binance user looks like and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And what sort of data can they use it or what sort of data can they collect and what information can they use that for? Right. Like that's kind of funky, right? Yeah. I have a, I have a funny, um, I guess, analogy for this. Yeah. Um, so let's assume that you're buying a new shit coin and they need uh, KYC, right? Let's, okay. let's, say, let's say it's a launch pad. You want to buy a new coin, they want KYC. But um, from their perspective, uh, they're nosy, right? And they want to know that you're KYC proven. And I guess that's the kind of the future, right? Because I don't want to do a KYC every single time I buy a new coin. Yeah. Right? That's that's ri that's ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this soulbound token makes sense, right? I have the soulbound token on my address. Like I'll just show them, yo, I flash, yo, I got my my soulbound token. Yeah. And then they're just like go right through, right? I'm not, I'm you know, Binance KYC or whatever KYC, right? Yeah. So I'm a real person. But I guess the problem here is that if I give the person right, if if I give them the token right now, they can see my account and be like, oh, this guy's a big dumper or this guy's a big holder. I don't want that information going to that, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. And then, uh, or or I hold this coin, and maybe it's very tribal. Maybe 
maybe I'm buying a polka dot coin and maybe uh, I have to, I have a whole cosmos and then they're like, oh sure. no, you're yeah. you're the enemy cap. Uh, they're gonna ban you. So so you, there's a there's a million reasons why you don't want to reveal your actual address. Yeah. So that's what ZK does, right? That's what you uh, that's what Manta Atlantic does. It's like I guess. exactly, yeah. And and and, and it's not that. It's not necessarily in all cases that you never want to reveal this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you do want to reveal that you're a holder, right? Like yeah. you prove that you, you know, are committed to ecosystems and right. stuff. But that should be a choice. Mm. It shouldn't be a necessity, mm. right? And so even in that case, you can prove that you're a holder without revealing your wallet address, mm. right? And so with with Binance, right, they launched the BAB and they um, they they needed something that's more ZK enhanced, right? right? Which means that now you can prove that you're Binance KYC'd without having to reveal your wallet address. Mm -hmm. And so they actually launched the, uh, they have the ZK BAB on Manta Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And so there's about like 65,000 Binance users okay. that use ZK BABs to prove that they have um, Binance KYC without mm. having to reveal anything about their wallets. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a quite abstract concept to get across. I feel like this is one of the things that like, like say for example, if I'm just reading the websites or whatever or whatnot, and then, you know, I, I, I read websites a lot, you know, like uh, believe it or not, <laughs> I do browse websites and I do see what's special about everything. And I think- I, I know you do. This, yeah, this, this is very informed yeah, conversations. This, it is, and, and I think it's something that's hard to get across because you need to get your mind to wrap your mind across that because we all think in like uh, old public key, private key, right? We don't think in ZK. I think this is sure. the, my, my biggest challenge when it comes to ZK. And this is why this yeah. explanation really worked very well for me is because I don't think in ZK. Sure. I don't speak in zero knowledge, right? I don't think many people do. In yeah. fact, like I think I mean, that's ZK challenge. is extremely ahead of its time. Yes. Which is why, you know, when you look at Manta right now, we don't push people to, you know, adopt ZK and stuff mm -hmm. because I don't think that right now is the right time to do it, right? Mm. Because people are still in this current generation of applications. And so right now, even with Manta Pacific, you know, what we're pushing is this current generation of applications, bringing users on board. And I think eventually we will transition to a state where more ZK enabled applications will emerge. And I hope that all that emergence starts with Manta because we have all the circuits built and mm -hmm. we're able to expose it to developers like ZK Holden to actually start building these next generation apps. Got it, very, very, very interesting. I yeah. think this is quite informative as well. And I guess, um, so for this type of content, I think it really works well for a podcast because it takes a while to digest. It takes, yeah. <laughs> it takes for me, okay, that's how I learned. I, it takes for me like 20 shitty analogies <laughs> in order for, for me to understand something. So I hope this uh, becomes useful. And I guess in the future as well, uh, I would definitely appreciate some feedback. So leave it on this video, guys. Like uh, what, what type of analogies is helpful? Are analogies helpful or I'm, I'm not? Because everyone learns differently. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of learning here because it's about changing the way you think, right? And especially true with ZK, like approving this stuff. It's like, it's like, it's, it's none. I think it's like very uh, counterintuitive. Yeah. Because your intuition will say, okay, if you're playing a poker game, you should never publish what cards you have on a blockchain. That's the stupidest thing. Like that's like sure, revealing your yeah. hand, right? Yeah, like yeah. like why, why would you play with the cards face down when you can play with the cards face <laughs> up, right? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> why would you do that, right? Like that's the stupidest thing. But with with the magic of mathematics, you can. Right? Yes. And I guess, I guess I, even I try to you know, talk about public key, private key to people, and it just confuses the living shit out of people unless you did the calculations to prove that it works, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's a bunch of magic math. So I guess uh, so so this episode I do actually want to keep it quite 
big picture. Uh, I have a few questions here, and I think sure. what we'll do is we'll we'll do a, a lightning video later because I'll, everyone's asking, you know, how do you justify huge market cap? I'm I'm pretty sure you don't want to talk about value, <laughs> or you can, or, or uh, you know, where do you stake Manta? I think what we can do is um, we'll leave this um, more theoretical, and then maybe we'll do another discussion topic about you know, uh, the 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 one step one two three of you know staking and bridging between Manta Pacific and Atlantic and you know uh this Q and A stuff because I feel like that could be another one hour discussion sure. and we'll cut that into segments. So yeah. uh, for people watching this um on live, I, I actually read all your questions here and I want to just kind of combine this into a, a big format that makes sense. Yeah, I think the last big topic I really want to talk about is Polkadot, right? Because Manta Atlantic is built on Polkadot. Uh, recently, we've been covering quite a bit about Polkadot and their ecosystem. Yes. Uh, I want. I want to just kind of take. What, what's your opinion of Polkadot? You know, like building on Polkadot, or do you think it's got huge potential? You know, what's happening there? I think Polkadot is um, one of the largest ecosystems that also has one of the most innovative um, approaches for mm -hmm. scalability. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's it's really hard to max out that intersection right there, right? Because the larger you get, the slower you move, the slower you move, the more outdated you become. Um, but Polkadot, I think, has been extremely impressive, even since the early days when we were, you know, deciding between, you know, building our own isolated L1, launching on Polkadot, launching on Cosmos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and now with, you know, Polkadot's new sort of parachain leasing system, right, like it becomes not loaning dot but actually using it to purchase time and mm -hmm, space mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so um i think it's getting more akin to that cloud computing model which is a proven model right like proven model in terms of you know paying by the hour paying by the amount of time or reserving the instances etc cetera, etc cetera. and so all in all i think that the polka dot ecosystem in terms of the technology is definitely there Right. I think earlier we had talked about like, you know, the the the, the difference between a technology and a product. Right. Mm, I think like okay. I think like where Polkadot and many other L1s um and alt L2s and all that stuff, right? Like need to really think about is like how do they get closer to the user? Right. With Manta, mm. our solution was okay, everyone's on Ethereum, then we'll just build an L2 and get to them. Right. Mm. And so I think that's kind of the challenge that Polkadot has as well, because all this amazing technology, right, needs to be used by people, right? And so, like, one of the decisions that led us to also extending into the L2 is because despite all this great tech, there's not enough users, yeah. right? And so uh, we needed to find some way to expose all of our technology and all of our value to a large audience of users. And so I think that if, if Polkadot can actually crack that nut, then it's a very mm. powerful contender, yeah. And and um, I, I have a lot of questions to bring to mind. I yeah. mean, I guess the whole idea of these uh, layer zeros is that they give you the kits to develop your own chain. But why do you choose Polkadot over something like Cosmos then, like in, in that case? For the technology, okay. yeah, for the exact um, reason um, that I mentioned. You're so in it for the tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. chains. <laughs> when, we're, when, we're, <laughs> when we were, when um, we were, when we started building the L1, right, like we looked across the ecosystem at all the existing ZK solutions. Mm -hmm. um, and we realized that if we wanted to build something, if we wanted to build the fastest ZK um, solution out there, we can't use EVM. We can't build as a, as a DAP because that constrains us to all the limitations of EVM. Mm -hmm. 
And so Ethereum, right, like we can't build it on top of Ethereum or else the gas fees are going to be really high and the transactions are going to be really slow. And so we decided, okay, in order to make this user experience scalable, cheap and fast, we need to build an L1. At least at that time, that was the solution right mm -hmm. now, you know, L2 is great. Um, but at the time, L1 was the solution. And so with the L1, we now have options of building it ourselves as an isolated environment or plugging into different ecosystems of L1s, mm -hmm. which essentially is like Polkadot or Cosmos. Okay. And so building our own L1 was not an option because then we would have the hard task of getting all these other chains uh, to start adopting us, all these other chains to start moving their assets over. And at the time, again, bridges weren't such a big thing. Mm. Right. So um, and it also kind of speaks back to like modularity and why that's so important, because like th those bridges and, you know, uh, all these other things aren't weren't really that big. L2s weren't really that big then, but now they're all the hot stuff now. Right. Mm. And so like you got to really adapt to the to the environment. But um, at the time, right, it was really between Polkadot and Cosmos and Polkadot in, in terms of technology itself, despite both being extremely nascent, was extremely impressive. Mm -hmm. um and so you know we decided to you know take a bet on the polka dot ecosystem yeah okay, i was trying to watch you navigate through that because it's just just probably a lot of cosmos fans a lot of polka dot fans <laughs> it's it's a political nightmare <laughs> i'm like i'm just like watching you okay it's in it for a tag you know but there's a particular tech that we like over there uh, you know, uh, it, it, crypto gets very tribal sometimes, oh, right? Yeah, because yeah, oh, yeah. you have the, the, the developer side, the tech side, and then you have the community side. And the community side really wants you to say certain things, I feel like. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, they're back, yo, Celestia is the best fucking thing in the universe because, you know, we're Celestia stakers. So <laughs> shut the fuck up, you want uh, to. But yeah, this is just got casual talks. So I think that, yeah, that, was, yeah. that was very well navigated. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Why we're, we're the, the ocean kings. The ocean kings. <laughs> <laughs> I got it, got it. So, so that's actually quite interesting. I think you brought up a few very, very good topics here. Where, um, you know, I guess before back in the day, maybe tech was king, but now it's community and also about, um, and I think something that didn't really, um, I guess I didn't think about a lot was like how your chain integrates with everything else, how you play with others, mm. right? Because I feel like, uh, my background is chemistry, right? So something about chemists is like there's this culture of like, let's do everything ourselves. Okay. Like, let's do it from scratch. And physicists are even worse, right? Physicists are like, you know, I don't trust anyone else's calculations but my own. So I'm going to reinvent one plus one equals two, right? Or, or mathematicians like that. But chemists are yeah. like, you know, I'm going to synthesize this. I'm not going to buy that from the shelf. That fucking sucks. I'm going to make this myself. And right? I'm sure. a chemist. Your right? compounds are better. Yeah, my compounds are better. <laughs> even though it's the same thing, like, <laughs> you can save like months of work. Still, I'm a chemist. I'm going to do this myself because I'm hardcore. And if you don't do that, well, you don't deserve your beard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I guess that's a different culture, right? So for... for like crypto is kind of like that too sometimes. That's a Bitcoin, guys. Bitcoin guys are like that, right? Yeah. You don't deserve your beard if you don't do it yourself. If you don't run mm. that that C++, you know, you don't if, if you don't code in C++, you're a fucking retard. You should go back home, Ouch. right? Okay. okay, that was the, the old culture. But I guess now the new culture is like, okay, like, what what modules are there, and how do I play well with others? Yeah, I think that's something that's quite interesting because like, um, you kind of, you kind of chose Polkadot, you built your layer one, and then you say, okay, in order to play well with others, I want to play well with the Ethereum folk, so I'm gonna build a layer two as well. Sure, right? That's like you know, like it's all about community. It's all about people. It's not just about the tech. Yeah, right. So you guys kind of adapted your tech. So you can get the Ethereum guys on board or something. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, that's quite interesting. And I think we'll continue to kind of grow in that way, right? Like if in the future, in order to scale, in order to obtain users and stuff, you know, we need to build an L3 or we need to build other solutions, like it'll definitely be integrated, right? Like I don't think we're kind of um, forcing ourselves into one specific peg. Mm. Yeah, and I guess I guess last topic because um, I did promise Kenny we'll go to the gym afterwards. <laughs> uh, it's already um, three thirty. But what's your future? Uh, I guess what's what's the kind of the next big move for you guys? Yeah, so um, you know we're 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 kind of transitioning out from the the TGE stage, mm -hmm. right? And so the TGE stage, there's a few different things that are happening. Right, first is. You know, the new paradigm campaign completed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of TVL in the ecosystem right now. And mm -hmm. we're shifting gears so that we can move over to the highlights of the ecosystem itself, right? Promoting the ecosystem project so that users are now able to explore all the different products and services on top of Manta Pacific. Um, and hopefully that will also help drive TVL directly to the applications, right? That's definitely one of the, um, it's definitely one of the focuses here. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, just based on like the community um, activities even prior to the TGE and the rewards, the subsequent rewards, right? Like the airdrops that we um, delivered to the community, mm -hmm. right? That's still open for another period of approximately six months. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people are still in the process of claiming those. Um, and so that's still ongoing for the next six months. On the tech side, we're also shifting over to start transitioning into the next sort of... Um, Endeavor, right? Celestial. <laughs> Were you about to say new paradigm? <laughs> the new new the paradigm. Next paradigm. The next paradigm. Uh, so in in Q four of twenty twenty three, right? Our goal was to integrate in Celestia with in the most seamless manner possible, mm -hmm. right? And now we're switching from OP stack over to zk EVM, and so we're going to be using Polygon CDK for that. So I think that's going to be. So so can our... you tell me like what is okay? What is this all about? OP stack. What what is this like? Like, what's the future? What what's what's what is this all about? Yeah, sure. So uh, currently, Manta Pacific is using OP stack, which is an optimistic rollup. Mm -hmm. And an optimistic rollup, in a very simple layman's term, is you know just kind of a rollup that is optimistic, right? If you think of a personality of a person, you know, an optimistic person thinks the best of people, mm -hmm. right? And so it assumes there's nothing wrong. Right. And so everything goes according to plan. But then when you move your assets from the L2 back to the L1, there's a there's a period called the challenge period. And that could be anywhere from three days to seven days, depending on which L2 that you're using. That's an optimistic roll up. Um, and during that challenge period, then everyone comes in and can look at transactions and say, oh, this is wrong or that's wrong. Right. So you're challenging all the transactions. Mm -hmm. Right. And if nothing's wrong, then it just moves over to the L1 in like three days, seven days, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you get your assets in three to seven days, right? That's an optimistic rollup. Um, a ZK rollup, a ZK EVM, you know, interchangeable here. Um, you know, I, not entirely interchangeable for, but for this example. Yeah, sure. let, let's, yeah let's keep it simple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So for a ZK rollup, right? It instead just says, okay, every time that you generate a batch of transactions, we're going to create a proof that these transactions are correct and they happened, and so instead of having to check once people withdraw, it just creates that proof. So there's a check every single time. And so then when you withdraw, you don't have to worry about, you know, other people trying to challenge your transaction because your tra transactions already cha or not challenged, proven. 
to be true and accurate and you know good acting for every single block that's produced. Got it. So I, 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 you can see me trying to think right here because I'm trying to think of an analogy to make this make sense. Uh, you know, I'm, I, like, yeah, I'm the shitty analogy guy, right? So going back to, back to the bus analogy, let's say I assume that you get on the bus and it's very easy to get on the bus, right? Because uh, you just wave to the driver, you're like, hey, I want to get on the bus because I want to save transaction fees, right? The bus being the layer two. Sure. All right. So the bus analogy is uh, I'm going to go from, let's say, New York to Los Angeles, right? Um, um, just random example. It's like a big, big fucking country, right? Let's say this is a like cross country bus. Uh, you get on, and because uh, you're you're um, standing from the ground, you get on a bus. It's actually relatively fast, right? That's why when you bridge to from a, from Ethereum to Layer Two, it's relatively fast, right? And then of course the bus starts moving. Um, it's carrying a lot of passengers, and every city that it goes across, it kind of submits a like a proof, right? That's kind of what we're saying about the, the call data, right? Right okay. now you're sub submitting call data before, like a lot of uh, blockchains are submitting call data to Ethereum, you guys submitted to Celestia, right? Um, and if it, you're optimistic, when you're getting off the bus, you have this like kind of challenge period, right? Um, every city can say, yeah, were you on the bus? Were you on the bus? Were you on the bus? And the, I guess I guess it takes a while to process that, right? Which is sure. the biggest uh, drawback to optimistic rollups, which is a time to exit. Right, just when you're trying to exit the bus, you know you, you're you're groggy, you're tired, you know you've been you know on this bus for days on end. Uh, you just want to go get some food, right? It's California. You want some like tacos or something, right? You want to get off the bus, and then and then everyone can challenge you along the way, right? I guess that's your analogy. But when you when you switch to zk tech, you can just kind of use your zero knowledge proofs to say, okay, well, I've done this, 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 this. I've crossed all these cities. I've done my part. I could get off, right? Is that is that a good analogy or or a terrible analogy? I got a little lost. <laughs> okay, okay, that's still a bad analogy. Okay, we'll, we'll perfect the analogy. Okay, I got one though with the bus. Okay, um, so it's like when you get on the bus, an optimistic roll up. Ten people get on the bus. The bus driver, the optimistic roll up, assumes okay, everyone's paid their fare. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then when you get off the bus, as you're getting off the bus, the driver says okay. Show me your show me your receipt, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to show them your receipt before he lets you off the bus. Right. A zk roll up is more like you get on the bus, you pay the fare, and then you show the bus driver your receipt, and he says, "Okay, you can sit down now." Okay. And then you can just get off the bus freely yeah. because you show exactly. the bus driver already. exactly. So the bus driver already assumes that everyone sitting on the bus has already, or not assumes, but knows everyone's already paid. Optimistic uh, roll up, the bus driver assumes everyone's already paid. Uh, because so. Ah, okay, that's 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 pretty good. Okay, so so you're migrating from one type of, I guess one type of bus driver to another yes. bus driver. Okay, so that's that's <laughs> an optimistic bus driver or a pessimistic bus driver. Got it. But pessimistic roll up doesn't sound so good. No, no. So it's a zk zk bus driver. Yes. Okay, so that's a zk roll up bus driver. Yeah. Okay, so that's your big objective um, in the next coming. Yeah. And um, what does that mean to end users though? Yeah, so end users, right, um, will feel an improvement every time they withdraw from the network, right? It's mm -hmm. not three to seven days now. And then on top of that, the security is going to be beefed up tremendously. Right, because bus driver actually checks a ticket exactly. beforehand, right? Yeah. So it's not no yeah. longer very optimistic. Oh, I think you have a ticket. It's yeah. cool. Because even, even the challenge period, right, like why do people actually challenge it? It's because um, they're economically incentivized. Mm. But, it's, but it's not foolproof. So it means a fraudulent transaction could potentially still get through the system if no one challenges it. Mm. So, 
Interesting. Interesting. Okay, cool. That's that's a very good overview. So Thanks. is there anything else we want to cover for this one? That's, I know that's a long video. It's been an hour or something. Is there anything else we need to cover that makes Manta uh, pop or exciting or... I don't know. There's lots of questions. Um, yeah, happy to talk about anything. <laughs> cool. I mean, we, we have a lot of questions here. Um, uh, let's see how... Uh, when will withdrawals be enabled? So I guess I guess this... March 26th. March 26th. And, and it's kind of interesting because when people bridge over during New Paradigm, you bridged over to Stone, right? And it's yield-bearing, but it's not like... Like, what's your relationship between you and Stone? Because when you bridge over, uh, it's automatic. The Ethereum is converted to Stone, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess you guys are very close to Stone. It's because it's a completely different project, right? Right, right. It's a completely different project, right? Like I think that our relationship with Stone or Stakestone is yeah, Stake basically Stone, yeah. like our relationship with Mountain Protocol on the um, the USDC side, which is also akin to our relationship with our ecosystem projects, right? In the way that we find ways to work together with our partners in order to you know derive value for the users but but it's actually very interesting because technically speaking okay let's say for example you bridge um you bridge over ethereum and if you kept it as ethereum people can bridge it back already right because that's the way it's supposed to work right sure you, you can't you can't disable a bridge and can't uh, uh disallow them to do so but right now technically speaking um you can't uh i guess uh, how are you controlling stone side? Because technically, it's stone side to to allow you to um, convert the stone back into Ethereum, right? Um, and then allowing that to be unlocked, right? So how how are you guys working together to achieve this like kind of like sixty nine day lock? Sure. So the 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 contract, right? The the token yep. contract itself on both the wrapped USDM side as well as the stake stone side, um, I have you know that built into the contract in terms of uh, okay the right. block time, but um, also right like. The reason why we have this conversion is because um, ETH itself is not yield-bearing, right? The whole mm. point of the new paradigm campaign is to start exposing users to yield-bearing assets. And so if you were to move ETH into the L2 and then move it back out into the L1, then that one ETH is still worth one ETH, you know, 100 days from now, 200 days from now, 365 days from now. But when you take stone, which is um, pegged to ETH plus the yield on the staked side, then when you move the stone back and you redeem it, mm -hmm. then it gets the APR as well. I guess, but also, it also, I mean, the pessimistic side of me, me will say, yo, you want this because you want the TVL to be locked for 69 days. A little sure, bit longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that is true, right? Yeah. Like, because by locking it up, we're able to now have this period in Q1 where we have an opportunity to push the ecosystem project mm. in front of users as well, yes. right? Which is yes. also beneficial to the ecosystem projects, which also helps with the exposure yeah. on the project side. It's pretty genius because if you, I mean, if you airdrop, you give money and incentive, and people love airdrops, right? They get free money. Sure. But you want them to commit some sort of value, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and it makes sense, right? Because if um, if they don't lock their funds up for 69 days, and um, I guess now there's a mass scramble for people who move funds over to make the most of their funds. I mean, if you think about it, eigenlayer is not on, you know, Manta. So you know, how 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 do I get you know yield bearing triple yield with eigenlayer? And you know, that's that's waiting stuff. for mainnet on eigenlayer. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. General so, availability. Right. So so in that aspect, like um, you're you're trying to encourage the community to come up DeFi apps, and uh, I guess there's two sides, right? The people who move funds over, they want to make the most 
out of those funds. So then they have to find projects to put the, the funds into, like maybe it's zero land, right? So zero land, you can, you know, stake some, um, you know, stake Manta, Manta stone, right? You can stake stone there or um, layer bank and put stone there. And you can, it's kind of a, you get, you get an environment where people are actively looking for a place to stake their stone. <laughs> <laughs> right now, right? <laughs> so, so I guess it's a double. It's a, I mean, double. It's a, it's a win scenario. Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. Um. So now, now, uh. So I guess to answer that question, so when, when is the stone with when will withdrawals be enabled? Uh, March twenty sixth. March twenty sixth. That's when. So Cliff Smith, uh, for, thank you for asking that question. So Cliff, you will get your Eve back March twenty sixth. Right. Oh, yes. yes. And, and I guess right now, like, uh, I just want to explore this question with you guys, which is actually quite interesting as well. Uh, because technically, if you're if you're super urgent, right, you can swap your stone for ETH, but the ratios are off, right? So let, let me just quickly load that up here um, if my browser allows me to do so. Uh, so technically, a stone is worth more than an ETH, right? Technically, yeah. when you bridge it over, uh, uh, it was slightly off value. But right now, uh, if you want to buy, if you want us to sell stone, I guess um, my clicking speeds are not not the fastest in the world anymore. I'm getting old. Uh, but yeah, stone. Uh, let's see, stone staked ETH. Do we see that here? Uh, stone, stone, stone staked ether, and ether. What's the, what's the ratio? Yeah. So so a stone is actually worth zero point nine five ether. Yeah. So I guess. Um, when the official withdrawal times are available, that's going to be stone is going to worth be worth more than one ether right now, right. Or, or because because it's a yield bearing asset, so it's got all the yield accrued, uh, during that time. So I guess you can extract the value back to ETH, right? Uh, or if you're urgent, you can sell it at a you know like a five percent loss right now or something. Sure. Yeah, and this is this is really interesting because this is kind of a market dynamic that we didn't really uh, anticipate, but. Mm. Right now, right, like the DEXs, um, you know, if you know, if you think about how a DEX works, right, it doesn't pull price from an oracle. It pulls price based on the trades that are happening. Yeah, yeah. And so as a liquidity pool provider for ETH Stone, like, you're probably thinking, okay, I'll give people this opportunity to do this as long as they pay the premium because yeah. I would like to arbitrage that mm. because I can take the stone and then at a later point in time, 69 days later, I can go back to the L1 and redeem it yeah. for that one ETH plus the interest. Yeah. And so I'm willing to let people take it um, as long as they give me a good price on stone and I take that arbitrage over time. Yeah. Right? And so it's really it's really a question of like, do, do you want to, you know, a, extract your value or whatever value it is from stone right now when it's still locked or if you want to wait over a long period of time yep. and i think like the people that do want to wait create these liquidity pools and they're willing to do that arbitrage risk yep. yeah which is i think interesting it's interesting yeah. i mean it's like like i guess humans never operate the way you think humans should operate i think that's my biggest lesson from crypto i'll actually show this actually very quickly um on arbitrage you know technically but I think I think that's one very important lesson as well. Cause like again, you think all humans are logical. And then they'll be like, yo, I know when the unlock times are, I want to commit this much, so I'm not gonna dump my stone for cheap. But some people are like, okay, <laughs> YOLO! <laughs> and then they dump their stone for cheap, or when they need Eve really bad and they wanna play Eigenlayer or something else, like they, they need the Eve. So I guess yeah, they yeah. pulled it out. So um that was very interesting dynamic. 
Um, yeah, and yeah. I think the market dynamics is, are very interesting. So, and I saw the stone prices um, moved a lot. Like I was tracking stone prices for a long time because I was holding stone, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it went from you know, uh, uh, one ETH was one point one two stone at one point it was like so. So stone was very cheap. Wow. So then I was like buying stone up as so much as stone <laughs> as possible, right? Um, and then now it's like zero point four. So I think there was there was almost like a. Uh, my Asian math is failing me, but seven percent difference. So mm-hmm. I guess you could have made seven percent, yeah, by just like arbitrating stone, and you can still make there's still an opportunity here yeah, because yeah. stone is technically supposed to be worth more than ETH. So yeah, it's redeemable to ETH plus the yield. Yeah, yeah so you can make a quick, quick four percent, four point three percent, at least four point five percent maybe, uh, in fifty something days. That's actually a very good yield. Yeah. My math brain, my Asian brain is coming back. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So I think I think that's uh, that's enough for us for this episode. Um, guys, thank you guys so much for questions. I hope I, I will answer more questions later. And I think I'll make a dedicated video that's more like less discussion focused. This one was mostly just like a podcast format. Sure, yeah, I felt yeah. like that that was fun picking your brain and um, getting information across. But next one, I think we'll just do a question and answer. So if you guys want to leave as many questions on this video as possible, not just the live stream, but people watch this afterwards and if you didn't get on, uh, ask as many questions as possible. No matter how stupid, we'll ask them. Okay, I think that's the, <laughs> the next one. So if you want to ask about market cap, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, okay? And then we'll grow Kenny and we'll, we'll strangle him if you just ask <laughs> questions or something like that. So uh, we'll get we'll get some punishments. So maybe if, if every question you dodge, next session, we'll, we'll make you eat a worm or something. <laughs> <laughs> if it's gummy worm. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, yeah, guys, thank you guys so much for watching today's episode. Leave a question down below. Um, and definitely, um, I hope you guys enjoy this type of format. Um, uh, you know, I took this as an opportunity. So uh, thank you, Kenny, for, for doing this. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Yes. Um, peace.